0: This is Come and See from the St. Andrew's Anglican Church for September 8th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the Book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Do you ever think about the fact that we come here every Sunday and we do the same thing every week? I mean, it's always exactly the same thing. We... Come in, and we say mo- pretty much the same prayers, a little bit of different, but pretty much the same words. We come in, and we um, sit at the same times, and we stand at the same times, and we kneel at the same times. Um, all the time, we get a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine, and then we say th- some more prayers that we say every week. And then we go home. It, it sort of is never changing, and and that can is both good and bad. It's interesting because it it can be very good in that what it does mean is that the prayers have some real meat to them. And there's always another level that you can, as you think about them and as you actually pray them as opposed to just having them read, um, that you can actually discover more about yourself and about God in them. On the other hand, it's also a danger that they can become routine. Where we don't even hear ourselves doing it, or hear anybody else. It's just something that we do by rote and don't even give any thought to, um, which can be dangerous. Now today's a little different. So, and, and one of the great things about today is that you can go home and tell people. They said, "What'd you do in church today?" You can say, "They read an entire book of the Bible in church today." I mean, how often do you get to say that? But they read the Book of Philemon. So, you know, very often do you get to say they read the entire book? They said, "Man, that must take a long time." I said, "Oh no, they're speed readers. It went like that. It was real fast." Of course, it's only one chapter, but the. Um, but it does become very easy, in our tradition anyway, um, to get into sort of a, a zombie-like state and not pay attention. You know, I, I was a Southern Baptist for a while. I have to confess, I wasn't a very good Southern Baptist, so um, I, I'm not really an expert on it. But um, and but a lot of the friends I had growing up in, in Kentucky were Baptists, and they would say, I don't see how you'd go know to that church where you say the same prayers all the time. And... Now I didn't know enough at that point to answer that but now what I realize is I have a lot of uh, Protestant friends now Baptists and others and and then one thing I've noticed about them is that they say different prayers every week but they say the same thing. <laughs> I've never figured it out and the one I re- John and I really get into is the the just father prayer. You know what I mean? When somebody prays John goes to a Christian school so they do this all the time and, and they'll pray and they'll go, "Well father, we just father, we thank you for for just being with us father and <laughs> like I think I'm glad we wrote ours down, but but they do have a point um in that it can become something that we don't pay attention to and take seriously. Take communion, for instance, you know, when I was a Southern Baptist, we had communion once a year, whether we needed it or not, and it was always on communion Sunday, um, which is November, we call it All Saints Day, It's kind of a weird day, but um and we um that they have communion Sunday, and they didn't even do it on Sunday morning, though they did it on Sunday night at the Sunday evening service. And it was the only time in the whole year they took communion. And so, when I asked some people, "Well, why is it you know that, that Protestants don't take communion more often?" You because know, you know Catholics do and Orthodox do, and you know Anglicans do, a lot of people do. And they said, "Well, because if you do it too often, it won't be special anymore." And I thought, "Well, again, I, I mean." It's, that could be true, but how do you make Jesus Christ dying on a cross for the sins of the whole world less special? I mean, it's going to be special pretty much no matter what you do with it. But I, but I do get their point, and they weren't talking about what God did, they are talking about what we do, is that it becomes easy for us to come and take communion without even giving any thought to it. We just walk up, put our hands out, put a, get a piece of bread, take a sip of wine, go back to seat, you know, we're done, let's go home. As though that were all there was to it. But in Lent, one of the things that we read is the exhortation to Holy Communion, um, where we invite people to come take communion. One of the things that we caution people is to examine themselves in their lives and to look at that to make sure that they do not eat and drink of the Lord's body and blood unworthily. You know, in, in um, Scripture, Paul calls it, that in, in the King James Version particularly, he says, um, some eat and drink to their own damnation. Now I have to tell you, if you read the Greek, that's a bit strong for the word. It doesn't really say damnation. What it really says is they eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Um, And what he's saying is that if you don't recognize what you're doing, if you're not paying attention, if it's just a routine matter, then you are squandering this incredible gift that God has given us. And yet, how easy it is to be sitting in the congregation and get your mind on something else or fall asleep or whatever may be going on, and, and not to really be paying attention, and just kind of come up to the communion rail, because that's what everybody's doing there, all getting up and going up, and you just go up, take communion, and go back and sit down, and you never gave any real thought to what that meant. And yet what it means is, is a profound exchange in life. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that word remembrance in the Greek is anamnesis, is what it's called, but it's really not what we think of when we think of remembrance. If I tell you uh, to remember something, what would that mean to you? Don't forget it, think about it again, something like that. But see, that's not really what the word remember used to mean. Um, We've changed the meaning of it. Because if I, let me put the opposite to you. If I said dismember something, what would that mean to you? Yeah, take it apart. Well, remember means put together again. And so when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, that's what he's talking about. Bring my sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world together with you in this moment of your life again. Make it be a real part of who and what you are. And so when we come forward, we need to do it. Some people call it reverently. I don't really like the word reverently because it really sounds kind of pietistic and you know holy, holy. But I think we could easily use the word intentionally. Give it some thought about what is it that I'm coming forward. When I reach out my hands, what am I reaching out my hands for? Because what I'm receiving is the very life of God. Now that's pretty profound if you think about it. That I can come up here and reach out my hands and in this piece of bread that looks like bread, tastes like bread. But somehow or other, through God, he communicates the very sacrifice of his life for the sins of the world so that I can have eternal life. That's that's a neat thing. And when we drink the wine, we're drinking the very lifeblood of God himself. Because in the wine, we have his blood that was poured out for many, and even for us. But it would be wrong if we only came to this table thinking that, oh, I'm going to reach out my hand and I'm going to take something. Because that isn't the way it works. I mean, if you notice in today's gospel lesson, it says, Jesus is walking and a large crowd is following him. And suddenly he stops and turns around and says, anyone who does not hate their father and brother and mother cannot follow me. But that was a showstopper. <laughs> Out of the blue, I mean, what in the world was that about? And then he goes on to say, anyone who will not take up their cross cannot follow me. And anyone who does not give all their possessions away cannot follow me. I bet the crowd thinned out greatly at that point. (laughs) People said, I don't think I want to follow this guy. But he wasn't kidding. And it wasn't so much that he doesn't want you to have possessions or he wants you to die or that he wants you to hate your family. I mean, that that wouldn't make any sense at all. What it is is that what he's saying to us is that none of those things make any difference to you if you don't have godly love and life in your heart. They are just temporary, fallible, you know, things that are corrupted and will die and and cease to be. If you really want to receive the blessings that we think those things give us, God has to come first. And so we surrender them, not because we don't trust Him to give things to us that we need, because He will, but we surrender them to make sure that we keep our priorities straight, that we remember who really gives us life, and it's not the things of this world. And so when we come forward to receive communion and we're taking this, one of the things we have to remember is that it's about our sacrifice too. It's not just about his. You don't just get the bennies of Jesus dying on a cross just because you showed up. It's about offering yourself. In the right One liturgy, which is more a direct translation from the 1662 book, of Common Prayer, it says, um, in here we offer ourselves as we're offering the bread and the wine and the Eucharist. It says, here we offer ourselves. And then it says, our souls and bodies. That's to reiter- reiterate, reiterate all of us. We're offering all, every part of us you know, to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to you. So what we're doing when we reach out is we're not only reaching out to take the life of Jesus, but we're reaching out to give him our very life. All that we are and all that we have so that we can become one with him. Because that's exactly what he did for us, isn't it? When he reached out on the cross, he he didn't keep anything, he gave it all. He gave everything he had. Think about what life could have been like for Jesus on earth. Think of all that he gave up. He gave up a home. He left his mother, she had to follow him around, keep track of him, didn't know where he was. I mean, you talk about a poor mother, she traveled all over the country trying to keep up with the guy. You know, he never had a place to live. After that, he gave up his career as a workman. He, um, never, he decided he would never marry. He'd never have children. He'd never be wealthy. You know, he'd never have uh, prestige and fame and accolades that meant anything. You know, when he did get them, he, he knew they were temporary. But the same crowd that was cheering him, Hosanna in the highest, would be shouting later, you know, crucify him. But he gave everything for one single purpose so that we could have life because we're human and we mess up and if it were up to us if you had to be perfect to have eternal life how would we ever get there you know and not being perfect isn't an excuse it might be true but it's not an excuse I mean let me ask you do you want a lot of the very imperfect people you know to be spending eternity with you I bet you could think of a few you don't want there. (laughs) Well, just the way it is, God doesn't want sin in heaven. When the new Jerusalem comes, all that's going away. He wants us to be what he created us to be. And so he's provided this way that we can do it. And the way is that we die to ourselves and allow Christ to live in us. And he offers himself through the cross, the very life of God that can never die. And the most amazing thing about that moment when you take communion is that at that one moment, everything you did the past week or the past years, all those sins that you're ashamed of, the things you're afraid your mother's going to find out about someday, you know, all those all those things, they're irrelevant. Because that person's dead. You're a new creation in Christ. He has given you His life. And the only exception to that is are you willing to offer yours to him? Because he can't give you his life if you aren't willing to surrender yours. And one of the problems of being human is that we have a tendency to want to take it back. At least I do. Maybe I should speak for myself. But you know, I do real well on Sunday, and then by Monday I'm, I'm back to wanting to do what I want. And I kind of, It's not even that I do it intentionally, it's just I don't think about it. You, know, you get busy and life gets kind of crazy, and next thing you know you're going, why did I do that? And so it, it, as long as we're in this earthly form, it's going to be that constant kind of renewal of it. And what we have to remind ourselves of is that that's why he gave us the sacrament of communion. So that we could come again and again and again and receive this very life that he offers to us. Because, you see, the truth is, is that all of those things, when he talks about hating your mother and brother and sisters and all those sorts of things, he wants us to have healthy and loving relationships, but the truth is we can't have loving relationships unless they are based upon Jesus Christ and God, because God is love. Anything else is just a, a a a knockoff brand. You know, but it's not the real thing, and it will fail. That's part of the problem in the world. You watch TV today and, you know, and they have a lot of stuff on TV about love, you know, you're old enough like me. You remember the love boat? Remember the love boat? You go on a cruise and fall in love, and then you have a big fight. But before you get off the boat, you're happily together, and you're there forever. And I'm like, yeah, right. Where does that happen? But, on, the love boat. on the love boat, yeah. <laughs> but I think it got lost at Fantasy Island. <laughs> but, but the truth is, is that real love isn't just about how I happen to feel about you in a moment. I mean, I feel about different people, different ways than I have throughout my life. How can real love be about that? No, real love is about commitment. It's about making a decision to, to be with the person and to work on the relationship and to care about each other. You know, a lot of times, one of the things that interferes most with that is having children. Seems a little weird, doesn't it? that you have children and it messes up your relationship. <laughs> seems like it ought to enhance it, but, but it does. I mean, it does with everybody. For one thing, you go sleep deprived for a while, um, which is a little crazy. But part of the problem that I'm beginning to find in in, in people who come to me for marriage counseling, and all is an awful lot of them, what they fight about are the kids. And and I'm going, well, why in the world would you do that? Well, the kids come first. I go, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not, so what do you mean? I said, no, the kids don't come first. I said, Who comes first? I said, your spouse comes first. And they said, well, the kids can't take care of themselves. He's an old guy. He can do whatever he wants. I said, no, nah, that's not what you promised. That's not what it's about. And furthermore, you're harming your children if you take that approach. Because they are learning a very obscure idea of what love is. You know, um, Cloud and Townsend are a couple of psychologists, Christian psychologists, who have a great thing on on uh, raising kids. And one of the things they talk about in that is that the my favorite line in the whole thing it says, "When your baby is born, he or she is convinced that you are totally responsible for their life, for everything in their life, and your job over the next 18 years is to convince them otherwise." Now, there's a lot of truth in that, and. From as near as I can tell, there's a lot of 30-year-olds who haven't bought the idea yet (laughs) because they're still around. You know, they're still wanting mom and dad to take care of them. But the truth is is that our goal with our kids is to help them learn how to have healthy, happy adult relationships so that they can be self-reliant and reliant upon God. And the best way to do that is for mom and dad to first be committed to each other. Because one of the greatest tragedies of divorce particularly when there are kids involved. I mean, it's, and it's always sad, but it, and, and there are times, I'm not saying that you should never get a divorce. I mean, there are things you can do to stay married that are actually worse than getting divorced, but, but the one sadness about it, it's hard for the kids because the kids have to then figure out if mom and dad quit loving each other, how do I know they won't quit loving me? Because that's their stability. And it's always a hard thing, which is why people shouldn't really do it lightly. And you really shouldn't do it because of how you feel. I always tell people, if you don't feel very good towards a person, that's good. Now you can decide if you want to be married. Because anybody, how many of y'all have been married for more than two years? Didn't you figure out at some point that you married a jerk? You might not call them that. You might have been nicer. But I mean, didn't you figure out at some point that these people do weird things? I mean, they do stuff people really ought not to do. <laughs> and nobody who had any sense would do that. I mean, that that's the way we are. We're all peculiar. We all have our own eccentricities and our weird ideas about the way the toilet paper should hang or whatever it might be. And the truth is, is that that's really when you decide about whether or not you're going to be married. Because then you realize that marriage isn't really about whether or not I like you. It's about whether or not I love you. Whether or not I love you enough to forgive you and to accept you. And if you have that kind of foundation in a marriage, how can the kids not grow from it and not benefit from it? I mean, that, that's a powerful platform for a family to grow up in, to honestly know that their parents genuinely love each other. And if they have a fight, they may fight, but they'll work through it until it gets worked out, and then they'll be in love with each other again. Well, isn't that exactly what God has done with us? If you read the Old Testament, it's a history of fights between God and and His people. I mean, He was constantly getting mad. They kept doing stupid things. But He wasn't going to give up. Instead, He ultimately sent His Son, His only Son, to die on a cross so that we could share His life and His love forever. And so all of those things that we do to one another, that we do to God or that we don't do to one another or don't do to God as we should, can be washed away again and again until we finally come to that place of perfection. So today when you come forward to take communion, don't just come forward to get bread and wine, because honestly it's not a very good deal. Believe me, for as much as most of you give in your pledges, you could get a lot more than that at Max and than <laughs> that little piece of bread and that little sip of wine. No, the, the reality is, is that we don't come for that. We come to receive the very life of God, because that very life includes His love, and helps permeate our ability to love. And we do it not just by taking it when we get up here, but we do it by receiving it, by offering to Him in receiving it our own lives to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice for Him. Because see, what we do is we die to ourselves with Him on that cross in that moment, and we pledge to live for Him forever. That's the incredible, momentous um, gift that God gives us in this communion. And that's why the last thing that we say before you take communion is the gift of, gifts of God for the people of God. Do you ever think about what that means? I mean, every time you go to God's house here, we get, he gives you a gift. And it's not a cheap gift either. I mean, it's a really good one. It's eternal life. That's not bad. And he also says that you belong to him. You're his people. But, but we don't leave it at that. We turn it then to our response to that. We say, take them in remembrance. Take them by putting together again what he has done. And feed on Him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Now, if you really have, give thanks for something, what would your response be? Hmm? I mean, well, how would you live if you're really thankful for what you've received? Would you live like it wouldn't matter? No. It, it, it would make you think, wouldn't it? About how great it is. And that's what we come for is not only to receive, but to give. Not only to change, but to be changed. And when we do that, we really discover what it means to live in the eternal life and love of God. Amen. You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio st andrews is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org please join us again when we invite you to come and see